Well, the haters gonna hate, 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 and the fakers gonna fake, 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 baby. I'm just gonna make, 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 making luck, making luck. A Dominion podcast. So, welcome to Making Luck, a Dominion podcast. A Dominion podcast. Is that, is that good? That's good. All yeah. right. Um, today we are going to talk about end game play, as much of it as we can cover, and I am Jake. Oh, hey, I'm Adam. What's up? (laughs) And we are really excited to get into this. As always, to start off, we do want to announce the winner of last week's raffle. Was it me? Please tell me it was me. It was not Adam Horton. It was Adam Horton's wife. No! And she now gets to set my Skype password for the next four months. All right, we're going to talk about this later tonight. Adam wanted it to be Adam is sexy 101101. (laughs) That's what it's going to be, I think. And I don't know. We'll have to see what she says about it. Yeah? I don't know. Well, I mean, good for her. She's I, upstairs. You can yeah, but she's, find out later. She's sleeping, so yeah. I don't, I don't want to wake her up or anything. So the winner of next week's raffle will get a very special prize, some of Adam's computer. And hey, we are very... is, I do not consent to this. Adam hasn't consented to this yet, but don't worry, I'm going to work on him. And you will get some of Adam's computer no. if you are lucky enough no. to win no. this week's raffle. No, we're canceling the raffle. Okay? We are not. The raffle is canceled. I hope we had fun. You have to sleep sometime. Jonathan Johnstone, <laughs> I hope you enjoy your leftovers. The scorpion is cackling. All right, so... Yeah, so uh, yeah. We, we had a we had some gravy. <laughs> we had some gravy last time at the end of the the open faced podcast sandwich from last episode. Yeah, we played a kingdom where we talked about the cards that we talked about, which were farmland and mint, and we wanted to force both of those into the kingdom to see what kind of function they would play. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to read the kingdom cards? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm going to read the kingdom cards now. Are you ready for me to read the kingdom cards? Uh, read them in reverse cost order. Okay. Just to screw with that one guy. No, no, he who... said it was fine, reverse cost order. Okay, do them from the middle outwards. We have... Um... <laughs> <laughs> we have Forge, Hunting Grounds, Farmland, Swamp Hag, Mint, Smithy, Bishop, Hermit, Hamlet, Crossroads, and Triumphal Arch. Once again, for our audio-only listeners, Forge, Hunting Grounds, Farmland, Swamp Hag, Mint, Smithy, Bishop, Hermit, Hamlet, Crossroads, and Triumphal Arch. And I believe I said I wanted to open with Hermit and Silver and transition into a deck that focused on playing a lot of bishops. I remember saying that I was going to open with either a silver or a hermit, uh, maybe both, probably not, and I talked about opening with a smithy. Turns out that was terrible. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Opening smithy is, like, not actually good. I mean, I know smithy's OP. Well, I was trying to set up big draw for a really powerful mint early on, and smithy didn't really do that for me, unfortunately. Uh, It seemed to be better to build toward a mid-game mint. Yeah, Hermit really supports that because it trashes estates and gives you Madman. Yeah, the Madman turned out to be really important to get earlier than you usually want it. Normally you play your Hermit a few times because it's a pretty good card, especially early on, and you get the Madman 
later when you basically when you're done with your yeah, when all the stats are gone yeah yeah and the madman's just a bonus here it was really important to enable them that mint asap for sure i mean madman's a better card than smithy in that regard but like you don't uh, to keep it <laughs> well yeah but uh i mean you probably <clears throat> want multiple hermits here anyway because you know a competent opponent is going to be playing swamp hag on you and uh you know, that's yeah. important to keep the Hermit around to trash the curses. So we actually were a little surprised here to find out that one of the splits on this board, and when we say split, we mean a pile that is definitely going to run out, and whoever gets more of it is very happy. And what was that? Oh, I wasn't surprised about this, but it was the Hamlet split. Adam's never surprised. He's the world champion. Uh, well, but... <laughs> that, that that has nothing to do with why I wasn't surprised. Uh, usually village splits are important when, you know, the number of terminal cards you can play on your turn is, is real good. And since Bishop is the point of the deck and it's terminal, yeah. uh, village split's probably going to be important. It's also the only way to get plus buy. Village split is going to be important. You say, eh? Port? Is it? Eh? Anyway, so um, we had... That's, that's I, I was thinking that Crossroads could kind of offset that a little bit, but again, I want to come back to the fact that Hamlet's your only plus buy, and Crossroads doesn't reliably draw cards. It can, depending on what kind of deck you're building, but it hems you in that way. I mean, one Crossroad in the deck is great for, yeah. the, for the three actions, but like... It doesn't offset you know, needing Hamlets. You, you still want more Hamlets, because that's still more terminal space, right? It's, right. It's important. Yeah, you actually ended up wanting to get a hunting grounds earlier than I expected you to want one too, because drawing cards is really good. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that the first time you hit five or six, you were going to buy a swamp hag, and the second time, you're also going to buy a swamp hag to make sure you had full swamp hag <laughs> coverage. Uh, turns out, getting a hunting grounds is probably a little better. Well, hermit is important. Like you're going to be playing hermits in the mid game to just focus down those hammies, right? The Hermie and the Hammy. The Ballad of Hermie and Hammy. Yeah. Part 2. Part 1. Part 55. And uh, the fact that you're gaining curses during that time is pretty irrelevant because, like, you can just Hamlet discard the curse for some benefit and Hermit doesn't care, right? Yeah. I mean, Hermit and Hamlet were just made for each other. Well, and if you're tracking your own deck, you can kind of just predict when this is about to happen. But if you're tracking your opponent's deck and you are choosing between playing Swamp Hag and playing some other terminal, then it comes down to whether or not you've seen their Hermit yet. Because you play the Swamp Hag, and then if they're just going to trash it with Hermit anyway on their next turn, uh, the, like, the Swamp Hag you know? turned out to be pretty a bad buy, but, or a bad use of a terminal. Yeah, the other mitigating factor was uh, the fact that, uh, you know, if your opponent's playing Bishops, the curse is also... Don't yeah. hurt as much. It's just another way that you can get rid of him. I mean, Swamp Hag's a good card. Like, I would decline to buy things when he had two of them out a lot of the time because it was annoying, but... And when I had three or four, you definitely declined to buy things no matter how much money you had left. Yeah. Turns out online, if there's four Swamp Hag icons, it, it takes up more than one line and it makes the text box all wonky. Nice. T-I-L. Very nice. Yeah, the I mean, the curses here didn't... In the presence of so much robust trashing, the curses here really only served to slow you down a little bit and reduce your hand size by one. That's really all they did, but it was still annoying. 
Hashtag robust trashing. Yes, that's... They used to call me that. Hashtag robust trashing? Yeah. I could see that. You look You look like a hashtag robust trashing. Yeah, yeah. that's what they said, too. <laughs> that's, um, that's what she said? They. They. Yeah, that. <laughs> this is a plural yeah. conglomerate of people. Of course. Yes. So, so yeah. Uh, we got uh, we got a little bit of feedback. Most people were like, "Yeah, Bishop's the centerpiece of the deck," and Adam was right. And you know, I'm used to hearing that because I'm right a lot. But uh, it turns out that uh, if you don't play Bishop and the other guy does, uh, you're probably gonna lose. Yep, Bishop's real good. So Bishop was pretty good here. I and you probably pick one up. I don't know if I go so far as to say it was the centerpiece of the deck. I would. The deck that. Plays a, it makes a point of playing a bunch of bishops and decides it's going to get the bulk of its points that way, I think is a little too slow here on the build. And I think that the deck that rushes in and... I think you're going to get to five provinces, especially with farmland out it before the... It doesn't matter if you get to five provinces. I don't know. I don't I don't actually think the centerpiece bishop... We I never played the centerpiece bishop deck, and I was never really sad for... Not having done it. I saw you play Bishop. I never saw you focus on Bishop. Yeah, so the first two games we played with this kingdom, I focused on Bishop, and I wiped the floor with you. I don't remember that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I remember it differently. metaphorically wiped the floor with you. I didn't... I mean, I don't know if you can see this. This is carpet. Oh, snap. There goes Uh, the webcam. (laughs) Hey, we're off to a wild ride, kids, on making luck. Dominion podcast. It's become some terrible found footage <laughs> horror movie um, where yeah, you drop Blair the camera and then yeah, yeah. So like, there's there's the carpet. And I don't know if you can see the dog's bone over there, but uh, wiping the floor with Jake's Jake, any part of his body, uh, I don't think <laughs> that would work very well for Jake or the floor. And I didn't actually do that uh, here at Making Luck. Dominion podcast. We don't advocate for. Um, harming other people really in any way we They're, don't like violence is not the answer have we made that statement we we really like i feel like we should all try and find better ways to express ourselves i don't know profanity and violence are just not really a thing that that i'm into oh f- that would you <laughs> hey now <laughs> you watch your language young man I, do, do i need to get out the wild <laughs> We say, oh, fudge that here. Ah. Fudge that. Yeah, see? That was way better. <laughs> All right, so... Um, <laughs> so do you want to... I mean, that that was some pretty good gravy. Yeah, and, oh, by the way, Triumphal Arch, um, among other things, shut down a big money strategy, so if you were thinking about that, no, it wasn't good. But moving on... And yet another reason that the Hamlet split is the most important thing ever, because, like, you can just... Yeah. If I have nine Hamlets, like, I have yet another way to score points by just buying action cards. Yeah, the Hamlet split, winning it 6-4 was fine. Winning it 7-3 was a lot better. Either way, bearing in mind, it kind of set the ceiling for your Triumphal Arch points. And for your Bishop points, which are important here, sir. Right. I, I think Bishop was really good payload. I don't think it was the centerpiece. I think the centerpiece was all the payload you get from the, your treasures and draw and buying multiple provinces a turn. Both of those are the payload. I think Bishop's the important part. Without Bishop, I don't know how much it's really worth going for. Building and getting thin and making sure you have all that deck control. I would just, like... I think it is still. I mean, I would just play... Alternative. 
Big money? Big money's terrible here. Without bishop around? Big money's pretty terrible here, even without bishop around. Oh, Swamp Hag. Swamp okay. Hag Swamp, destroys it. Swamp, Swamp Hag's a big deal. It, plus, it gets a lot bigger of a deal without bishop. Uh, okay. Uh, any, yeah, you build a deck that plays a bunch of Swamp Hags. And any, any deck that is even marginally close to big money here, shut, it gets shut down. Or, I mean, shuts big money down hard with Triumphal Arch Points. Uh, yep. Yep, Baru. So. All right, yeah, okay. Fine. But Bishop is yeah. still the centerpiece of the deck. Great. I'm glad we <laughs> totally agree on this. Bishop is a nice little salt, salt shaker on the table of the deck. Okay, I mean, you, you no, but sure. Great. I'm glad we agree. <laughs> we've, reached, right. we've reached clear consensus, and, and now that this gravy has completely separated, you like that? Uh, wait, what? Ew. Yeah. Alright, we're well, we, gonna we talk about... We're putting gravy on things, and now we're into lunch meat. Yeah. And the gravy is separating, and there's lunch meat. These are two gross things. Let's get into endgame play. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love the end of the life of whatever animal has given me the meat for my lunch meat set. Anyway, that was that got really dark. So, uh, endgame play. I'm talking about the animal dying and then you eating it, right? Yeah. Are you sure lunch meat is an animal? At one point in time, I think an animal was involved. I'm not convinced. I want to tell you that. That depends on the lunch meat. I was telling you about head cheese the other day, right? Yeah, I wish you hadn't. Yeah, Um, Google that. It's neither head nor cheese. Actually, a a lot of the first head cheeses were made from extra meat from the head. But the cheese, oh boy. It's not cheese. I, like, actually threw up in my mouth just now. Um, so yeah, uh, end game play. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to preface this by saying that uh, end game play is a really big topic, and we're not going to pretend to cover everything related to Dominion end game play in this episode. Yeah, because we don't even have like a solid definition of that, right? We're, I think the idea is that we're going to talk about topics that matter towards the end of a game of Dominion ish. Yeah. And I have my own kind of mental model of what I think end game play is and how I think conversations about it and, and implementing them play into Dominion, but we can get into that too. But absolutely, this is definitely not meant to be an exhaustive treatise on everything that is endgame play in Dominion, because that would kind of be a treatise on Dominion as a whole. And Hold on, I need to take my shirt off. Yeah, no, but... Um, well, I mean, it's just really hard to say that you're going to exhaustively cover something like M gameplay because it is so broad and nuanced. Sure. So so I think the point is if we if we don't talk about a thing that you want to hear about or we don't go into it as much detail as you would like, uh, you should tell us about it because yeah. it's likely we're going to be doing another episode sort of on a lot of those topics. And so we've gathered a little bit of feedback from the forums and uh, from the YouTube comments and that's sort of shaped a couple of things we're going to mention this time. But, you know, this isn't the end of it. So, you know, check out check out the, the forums at adamhorton.com. You can go there, post, and comment on YouTube. You can get a hold of either one of us. Uh, you can get a hold of me. I'm at adam at adamhorton.com. Show up at his house. Yeah. That's what I do. That's That actually happened. Yeah. Like, not too long ago. Yeah. I can't, you came in. I'm here now. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Um, <laughs> so end game play is really important, right? Like, so, yeah. so I can I can be behind while building a deck, and then through better end game play, I can steal wins from someone who has 
who's just in a better position than me by outplaying them in the end game. And more often, you know, I'm in a better position and I punt the game away because I suck. But It's true, I've seen it happen. It's really important. I have to say, games seem to be decided by end game play like a lot more than several other factors like first player advantage and even winning key splits. That's true. A lot of the times when people are really salty after a loss and they have come back to, oh, well, this card's just BS, or you went first, or you opened with this or X, they don't realize that really the reason they lost isn't because of these other things they're assigning it to. It's because they got a little tilted mentally when they saw those things happen, and it screwed up the decisions they made around the mechanics of ending the game, and that's actually what lost it for them. So uh, I want to just point out the one big exception. If I lose, it's always because of the BS, because I played it perfectly. (laughs) Anyone else? And I think it's worth talking about what we actually mean by the term end gameplay, and a lot of people are going to have a lot of different definitions to it, and that way it's kind of like the word engine. But here's my definition, and it's what I mean whenever I talk about it. For me... Endgame play is any decision you make based on or considering the mechanics that actually end the game. And in my mind, it doesn't matter actually when in the game those decisions occur. I mean, even if you open with something that you're setting that is to set yourself up for endgame options, I consider that a degree of endgame play. As long as you're well, at least part of the reason that you made the decision you made was around one of the ways the game can end. And again, it's worth noting the three mechanical ways that that is. The province or colony pile empties, that's one way the game ends. Any three supply piles empty, or your opponent decides he has something better to do. Those are the three mechanical ways... Or they leave, or whatever. Um, so those are the three ways that a game of Dominion ends. And that third one is really mostly achieved by or mental they, fatigue. Or they disconnect. Yeah, right. Or their house burns down. Yeah, and actually, the really funny what thing is that you don't actually have to win the game to, to win the game in that respect. If you just play a okay, bunch of cards... once again, making luck easy <laughs> does not advocate violence. If you just play a bunch of cards, a lot of the time your opponent's just like, oh my god, screw this. And you can... That's endgame play. <laughs> it's not. The views of this this broadcast do not represent the views of Making Fun Incorporated <laughs> or its affiliates or whatever... So by your definition, everything you do is end gameplay, right? No, not everything. A lot of the time you make decisions that are more about doing powerful things in the mid-game or attacking your opponent or... You but know, the whole point points. is just to have a better deck than your opponent so you can win the game, right? Well, in a lot of ways, yes. A lot of the things that I consider end game play definitely fuse into a lot of the things you do for other reasons. In my mind, I'm considering it end game play if you're setting up end game options and I setting up Smithy end game play. <laughs> no, I mean in my mind, it's it's end game play when you have a reason for doing what you're doing, and that's keeping yourself flexible for the end game or driving yourself toward a particular end game in terms of. Uh, having the ability to empty more cards out of the supply than your opponent does. Okay, sure. Uh, I mean, that's that's not what I would define it as, but like that's valid, right? I mean, 
I can give you my totally different definition, and it's not helpful. But I'm going to tell you anyway, because this is our podcast, <laughs> and you have to listen to basically whatever we say. Well, I mean, you don't, but you are. Hi, listeners. We appreciate you. Yeah. But really, like, <laughs> the way I see it is a game of Dominion has three main phases. The first phase is you get control of your deck. The second phase is you make your deck do good stuff. And the third phase is you win the game with your deck. And when you're entering into the third phase, you always ask yourself this question, how do I win? And and there's a moment in time during the game when you've seen what your opponent's doing, you've seen what you're doing, you know, how your draws are going, and you you ask yourself that question. And this podcast isn't about when you ask yourself that question, I guess. Well, kind of, sort of is. But everything you do from that point on, in my mind, is endgame play. And no matter what your actual definition of it is, we can kind of know what it looks like and... When we're looking at a game of Dominion, we can kind of at least decide what something is or isn't based on endgame play. And there are two really key concepts, I think, that guide all of it. Two strategic paradigms that you want to take into just about every game that you play. One of them is that you, almost at all costs, want to avoid creating a situation where your opponent gets to win the game on his next turn, unless you have to, Adam will have more to say on that. And the other one is that taking the final game turn is a really huge advantage a lot of the time. So setting yourself up to claim that really big advantage of actually ending the game on your turn, meaning you took the last turn of the game, you had the final word, is something to consider, almost no matter what else is going on in the board. So, yeah, in, in two-player games, I think both of those hold really, really well. Um, the, the, whole, the thing you said before, don't, don't put yourself in a position where they can end the game. So, like, there's, there's this thing out there that a lot of people have heard of, and I don't even want to say what it is, <laughs> because it's, it's really... It's turned into something that does more harm than good. There's an article yeah. about the, uh, the second-to-last province, the... Oh, that's that's I adorable. Gave, I gave it a cute little name. So what Adam is talking about, you have probably heard of, <laughs> called the, the Penultimate Province Rule, or PPR. I renamed it into Penultimate Province Reluctance. That's, that's adorable. Yeah, and I think that when Adam says it has done more harm than good, he says that, he means that, like, people hear the rule and, and think, oh, don't get the second-to-last province ever, it's bad. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Like, if, yeah. if you've read the article about it, or if you know what this is, I really think you should just forget everything you know about it, because it's just so, it's framed in such a way that's very centric around big money and tries to analyze that situation completely, and it ends up coming across as, well, just don't buy the second-to-last province. And it doesn't really yeah. focus around the situations where you want to. And it also doesn't really tell you why you're doing this thing. So so a much better rule, which is what Jake said, and, and I'm going to say it in a very slightly different way. I stole it from Adam, by the way, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so like <laughs> you, you don't want to put the, the game state in a position where your opponent can win the game on their next turn, Unless counting on their deck to fail to do that is your best shot at winning the game. And, like, yeah, in big money, you know, of course, decks are going to fail because they're big money decks. They can't buy provinces every turn. But, like, usually you build decks that are capable of doing things. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the important things about those decks is that they're consistent. They're able to do things on all of the turns. And, you know, good decks 
do that, and, and you can usually build decks like that. So, so counting on your opponent's deck to fail is something that very rarely happens. Usually if you're counting on your opponent's deck to fail, you're in real bad shape, and yeah. you're going to lose. We're not quite into plan Z, where you just get up and leave, but we're at plan Y. Yeah. Um. We're, we're like, we're right there. This is yeah. not a good situation to be in. And so the point is, you have to know what your opponent's deck can do, and then figure out if they can end the game on their next turn with a win based on what you do and just don't allow that situation to come up. That's, That's right. the important thing. So you have to know the capabilities of your opponent's deck and you have to know like what other options you have to, to while preventing them to do that, but also kind of try to move the, the game situation into a place that's a little more favorable to you. Yeah, and I think it's worth bringing up now that one of the frames that I have for thinking productively about endgame play is that, and I mean all of it, is that when we're talking about it, we're kind of assuming that the game is close, right? We're assuming you're not just steamrolling your opponent or the other <laughs> way around. If you have six provinces and your opponent has one and you buy that last province and you end the game, technically, yes, that's end game play. But honestly, that's not what we're talking about. So right. whenever we're talking about end game play, we're assuming that your scores are comparable and that any of these decisions you make could swing the game one way or the other. Yeah, it'll affect the outcome. And it goes back to that principle you said of like the having the last turn of the game is a significant advantage. That really applies when the game is close, because yeah. if I'm crushing you, it doesn't <laughs> matter who took the last turn of the game. The yeah. game was over long before that. So, like, a lot of these endgame dancing situations, yes, they're more relevant when the game is close, because that's, you know, if you're if you're going to steamroll your opponent, of course you're just going to do that. It doesn't yeah. matter. I, I think a good example to think about when, when you're... So, like, don't put your... Don't put the game in a situation where your opponent can win. So, like, let's say... Uh, both of us can double province. Right. And there's three provinces left in the supply. It's my turn, and I can double province, but I know he can. And let's just assume that, that his deck is good enough to do it, right? It doesn't happen to me much, but let's assume. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so let's say I have two of the provinces, and you've got three. Three in the supply. If I buy two provinces, uh, well, that's that's bad, because he can just buy a province and then, like, a duchy, because his, his deck is capable of that. Right. He can do that, and then I lose the game, right? So double province here is not good. Single province, now I'm leaving two in the supply, and the score is tied at that point. I could get, like, a duchy, but still, that's that's no good either. So these, these are things that are not particularly good, right? Um, now... Finding a better play, maybe there's some other method of scoring points besides sure. just like loading up on duchies. Maybe I can get three duchies, or maybe I can like do some shenanigans with some alternate victory point methods, or victory point chips, or maybe he could even actually position himself to have some amazing triple or quadruple province turn yeah, build and end a the game more. all at once if he just stalls, and then if he does that. He puts the onus on me to have that horrible decision that he just had, and then do I now build more, and or, well, or do I buy the provinces and leave him open? So that, that has to be done in conjunction with scoring points, right? Because if you double yeah. province, you have five, and I still have two. So if I didn't score enough points, then it's going to be hard to overtake. But there, there are options there. Yeah. The, the point is that uh, you know this situation really sucks right. for me, right? That's because Jake was really smart, and he put it in such a way where I couldn't end the game on my turn. And 
And that's how we know that this is a hypothetical situation, too, <laughs> is because we're talking about me actually doing something intelligent and playing well. Sure. But, so, um, like, this this is a kind of situation that you want to look to your opponent in and, and try not to, yeah. to be put in. Because, like, yes, you're in this situation, and all of these options... They they seem a lot more painful than if I could just buy the two provinces and, and get the points in an efficient way. So this is this is a good example to think about. Maybe my best shot is to hope that he stalls yeah. and just YOLO get one province. Maybe I don't think he can get all the way to double. Or maybe YOLO get two provinces and hope that he can't get up to province duchy. Maybe that's my best shot. So all of these risks can can be evaluated and enter the equation if I don't have other options. But that's the thought process. It's not, there are two provinces left, I must start thinking about endgame play. Yeah, no. th- there's another thing that that illustrates, and that is that you don't really want to have set rules for endgame play. There aren't really any hard and fast things you can look for in terms of how many provinces are left. It's not like you want to start acting a certain way when there are five on every board. Because you really need to take all... Dominion's just more complicated than that. You need to take all of the data that the board is giving you when you're deciding what a good endgame decision is. Maybe you have thus far bought one province a turn and you've been going back and forth like that. But your opponent has a transmogrify out on his board. And he can Uh... transmogrify province into province and by province. Whatever. There's a lot of things you need to think about that subvert the concept of having a rule of how many provinces yeah. you want to leave left back in the supply, and you just need to be a little more active in your thinking than that. Sure. Like, there are calculations you need to do, and if you know what your inputs look like, and you know what your calculations look like, you're going you're gonna to come up with the good decisions. So, like, the calculations are, you know, basically... Don't make your opponent able to win on his turn unless you're in yeah. bad shape, right? And and try and, and put these favorable endgame situations into existence when it's your opponent's turn to make them have these awkward decisions. That's, that's the kind of stuff you want to be doing. I think uh, a lot of the times when I lose a game of Dominion in endgame play, it's because my inputs weren't right. And, sure. And, and I think it's really, really important for you to know uh, not only what the score is, I mean, if there's a point counter there, great. But, you know, some right. of us play Dominion with physical cards. Uh, you and use a calculator, but... <laughs> that's that's actually not allowed. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Our GG-sanctioned calculator. Not a thing. <laughs> um. <laughs> the uh, hashtag RGG-sanctioned calculator. Donald, please. Hashtag Donald, please. But but anyway... No uh, calculator. Um, <laughs> hashtag nerf calculator. Yeah. But uh, so so knowing what those inputs are, the score is important, but also the capabilities of your opponent's deck. Yeah, y- you need to know what your deck is capable of. But when it comes to the end game, knowing what their deck is capable of is important. Not only for these you know tactical decisions of, of where I put the piles, but also for knowing if you're ahead or behind. That can also influence That's your true. decisions. As well. Yeah, I mean, if you are someone like me who constantly in real life has trouble keeping track of the score of a game one you're not alone you're in good company (laughs) a lot of people have problems with that two it helps you to bear a mental note whenever a province is gained Uh, i know that seems like really obvious advice but you would be surprised how often you forget to do it and how often it matters and how often you will be staring at the options for your buys and you really wish you knew what the score is but you haven't been keeping track of who has which provinces and just definitely whenever a province is gained out of the pile, just make a little tick. 
Yeah, so... In your head. So, like, <laughs> deck tracking, and uh, more specifically, I, I mean, deck tracking is a lot easier to do online. I want to focus on IRL, because that's kind of a yeah. superset of what you need to do online. And if you can do it IRL, you can do it online, yeah, too. Yeah, for but sure. But that's not necessarily true the other way. Right. So, I mean, this isn't an episode about deck tracking, but I do want to touch on a couple of things that could be helpful, and if you want to hear more detail, actually, even if you don't, we're probably going to incorporate this into a future episode, because it is kind of interesting. But in terms of endgame play, the important things you want to track are points, right? How do you track points? In a two-player game, tracking points is actually pretty easy, because all you have to do is remember your own points and how many of your starting estates you trashed. Because then yeah. you can take the supply and subtract the trash and your points, and you get your opponent's points, right? Uh, right. If you're having trouble remembering how, many, remembering how many points you have, the easiest way to know that is to draw your deck. Yeah. That's another reason that even when you're not sure it's the best strategy, the strategy that draws your whole deck and plays a bunch of actions is still really good because it helps you take inventory <laughs> of sure. what is actually in your deck. And, and that's useful because normally when you're playing a deck that can draw itself, there's a little more complexity going on in how you build and play your deck. Right. And so just take a load off, man. Don't worry about tracking points. You get a reminder every single turn because it's what's left in your hand, right? So... So that's pretty easy to do. In a three-player game, yeah, you're going to have to suck it up and remember how much you have. And, you know, if there's another person who looks like they're competing with you. Three-player game? Of Dominion? Okay. Yeah. Or more. So uh, sometimes I find it useful to be, like, uh, tracking a point differential, maybe, instead of number of points. Sometimes that can, that can be helpful. I don't know. When Adam talks about three, three and four-player games of Dominion, it's like, to me, it's like when people are talking about playing basketball, but with your feet. Um, it's like, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? But isn't, like, isn't that football? Not American football. But yeah, like, that's just basketball with your feet, yeah. Yeah, it's same the same ball, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Same um, thing, yeah. I think it's exactly yeah, the same so, thing. But yeah, so sure, I guess if you're playing multiplayer Dominion, that would be harder. I wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess the other thing I want to say is that I do have a video in my Dominion video tutorial series that's about deck tracking IRL that goes into a little more detail and a couple more tricks. Yeah. So if you if you can't wait till the next podcast episode about it, that's a pretty good reference. Definitely. So one thing that Adam has touched on a little bit, but we haven't uh, n- addressed directly, is that there's this concept that you'll hear talked about called duchy dancing. And this is kind of coming back to the idea of not setting up a situation where your opponent wins on his next turn, but I think it's worth at least letting people who aren't so familiar with the term know what's being said by duchy dancing. Yeah, it's that sadness where your opponent put you in a good endgame position and now you have to scramble to find points some other way without lowering the provinces. Exactly. So usually the most basic scenario is that you guys are both gaining one province at a time and then there are two left. And instead of buying a province, you buy a duchy. In my mind, it's still duchy dancing, even if it's not a duchy. Like, maybe you chose, you decided gardens was better, or vineyard, or what have you. But you get the idea. They're all and, duchies. Right, they're, like all they're all duchies. It's some source of points, like Adam said, that's not a province, and it's not setting your opponent up to win the game on his turn. So, it's worth, I think, knowing it, because it is a really, really important aspect of endgame play, a lot of the time. So it's worth knowing when to duchy dance, when not to duchy dance, when to end the duchy dance, 
and when to just you know refuse that game and just buy the province. Okay, so when when you don't want a duchy dance, I think is when your deck can't really handle the duchies. Like your your deck is already kind of falling apart, and you're worried that you can't close the game yeah. out on a province. In that case, I think I might want to YOLO get the province because it's my best shot to win, counting on them to fail now, as opposed to the definite failure of my deck later. I I suppose that's the main use case. Absolutely. If you are in a position where your opponent has a similar score to you and a much better deck, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you, a lot of the time, will just rush out the provinces because, you know, your deck doesn't have very many turns left of being viable anyway. Right, so if you're behind, you kind of want to introduce more elements of variance into the game so you can try and steal a win, right? Yeah. And so more variance usually means uh, less consistency in the decks. You can you can give your opponent uh, less options for doing stuff because now they have a higher risk of maybe having a stall turn or something. Yeah. So forcing them to green earlier than what they wanted to could be a powerful move because maybe... You know, maybe they they won the minion split like six to four, but right yeah. now your deck can make eight, and their deck can't make sixteen. So you know, maybe you can deny them the opportunity to spend more time building or making their deck more consistent, and just start provincing now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that pressure introduces the element of variance you need to win the game. So that's that's eh, sort of an example. Yeah, and a lot of the time that kind of comes down to how people. Not that there isn't luck in this game, but a lot of the time when something like that feels like luck, when you're on the receiving end of it, you do need to think about the decisions your opponent may have made to make create that situation and why he may have done it in the first place. You miosel so hard, bro. <laughs> the other time that you might consider refusing the duchy dance is in the province is in the presence of certain attacks. Like, if you see something like Rabble or Haunted Woods that is really going to punish you very hard for having more green cards in your deck than you want, then a lot of the time, rather than courting your opponent in the duchy dance, it's better to prioritize a deck that plays those attacks quite a bit and punishing them by choking him on green so hard that you can kind of buy both provinces in a row with impunity because you played a rabble or a haunted woods or something on him and you just know he's not going to hit eight next turn yeah in general i would say that uh, if you're going to be punished for not building enough and attacks are a, a big thing it's it's not just rabble like even junking attacks yeah pretty much any attack um you want to build a lot more, and so that kind of delays your greening, and, and that's because you know you don't want to have to deal with Duchy Dance. Exactly. I mean, Rabble and Haunted Woods were the most extreme examples I could think of, but even something that doesn't seem like it hurts greens as much, like Witch. Militia or something like that, it does actually hurt quite a bit if you haven't built enough, because, again, three-card hands suck. Feels bad, man. Yeah. There, there was something that was uh, requested... Uh, talking about three-player endgame play. Or okay. maybe endgame play with more than two players. What can you do? Can you think of anything? I... What can you do yeah. in a three-player game? Uh, basically, you turn to the person... Look at the person who's ahead and turn to the person to the left and be like, okay, if we work together... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that I don't think that's going to work very often, man. Um, it happens quite a bit from the three-player games of Dominion I've seen, but 
Um, you want to be sitting to the left of the kingmaker. Right? Yeah, That's exactly. So try to determine your seating based on <laughs> who you think the stronger players are. Okay. No, but actually, in three-player endgame play, there's a lot of things that are different and a lot of things to try to consider. Attacks, I think, become a much bigger deal because they're going to get played more often. For sure. Uh, I mean, that happens all game, so maybe... I mean, it doesn't fit my definition of in-game play. Sure. But okay. that's the only definition that matters. So what are you uh, thinking is the difference in the end-game with so, more than two? So in general, there's a lot less you can do to control the end-game because you have two people going instead of one. So uh, there's less things that you can predict. There's, it's more likely that something unexpected is going to happen in between your turns to act. So, uh, what can you do? Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is if one of the players just isn't doing anything. Like, I, I was playing a game, and there was one guy who, like, he trashed his deck down, and he played two Sea Hags a turn, and that was all his deck did. And when the curses were gone, like, yeah, I mean, we had lookouts, and we cleaned it up, but he was just like, I'm still playing two Sea Hags a turn. And, like, it was a game between me and the other guy. It was a three-player game, but it was effectively a two-player game. Now, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but if one player gets some bad draws or um, things aren't working out for them and they're just not... they don't have that many points, you can kind of assume that they're not going to play that much of a factor in the end game. Now, there's right. king-making, and I'm not... This, this isn't a podcast about how to get that person to king-make you instead of the other guy. But, there's uh, plenty of podcasts on that, I'm sure. They're, they're they're pretty good podcasts. So so that's one of the things is you can if if one player has been eliminated effectively, you can treat it like two player on gameplay. But I mean that's probably not super helpful. I think the main point of advice you want to take away from this is that if you don't know what's going to happen, if two other players can do something and it messes with your plans, the safest thing that you can have is a points lead. And so in three player games or more, especially in more player games. You're going to find yourself greening a lot earlier. Yeah. Because if there's... I mean, there's there's really rare circumstances when everyone can get a province per turn. It's my turn. There are three provinces left. Then I buy a duchy! Because I'm going to get that extra turn. Run, I got a duchy! And, like, yeah, sure, that the, can happen. The duchy dance kind of assumes the presence of a two-player game. But it's just so rare that every single person... It's it's to their benefit to to do all of this. Like it's going to be in one person's benefit to just go for provinces, right? So you can't really count on that being the case. You you normally just want to get all the points you can as soon as you can. So so this actually affects more strategy stuff, like because you want to you want to be able to green earlier to have this kind of advantage. But uh, that's the main thing from higher player games is is you just going to get points a lot earlier. Yeah, yeah. It it creates definitely a higher variance situation too. I think. Uh, well, yeah. The other, I mean, there are other things that happen in three-player games. It's harder to win three-player games, right? Because there's more people. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you're not going to win as much of the time, and yes, more people are shuffling decks of cards, so there's going to be more. Right. More variance. It's unavoidable, really. So there is also another kind of aspect of endgame play that doesn't come down to necessarily the provinces emptying and doesn't assume the conclusion of a three-pile, although it, it 
kind of addresses it as well. There's this concept of pile control. And in, in my mind, pile control is how many cards you are removing from the supply, anywhere from the supply, and that's in relation to how many cards your opponent is able to remove on the supply on his turn. And there are four ways that you take cards out of the supply. Uh, buying them and gaining them is the main way, and there are cards that directly gain them. That's the second way. Any card that trashes something out of the supply, so we're thinking of something like uh, Salt the Earth or Lurker, or anything that gives them to your opponent, like revealing with Ambassador and not putting it back, something like that. Okay. So any, the reason that that's important for Endgame is because any card being removed from the supply in some way advances the game to a conclusion. It's, it uh, brings the game to an end. So if you are capable of removing more cards from the supply on your turn than your opponent is capable of removing from the supply, then all else being equal in terms of payload, you have a huge advantage because the game is only going to end when you say so. Yeah, if you have more options, and, and this is you know any, any sort of pile emptying, if you have more options, then you can, you can create more favorable endgame conditions. So there's an analogy I like to make to chess where you're checking the king. Usually putting the opponent's king in check is a strong move because it limits the legal moves they're allowed to make, right? They have to get their king out of check or else they lose the game. Well, I mean, they're actually technically not allowed. The nice thing in Dominion is if you if you threaten to win the game and your opponent doesn't do anything about it... You are allowed you, to checkmate by just, just winning. <laughs> you just win. Like, it's not... They're not, like, legally required to play around this. You know, you yeah. just... You just win. That's kind of cool. So sometimes you win games that way. Right. But checking the king in Dominion is like threatening to win the game on your next turn. And normally, if you, I can threaten to win the game on my next turn, uh, I have to make sure that they can't win the game in between. Uh, right. That would be kind of awkward. So if I have more gains than them, if I have yeah. more ability to take cars out of supply than them, then I can find more ways to check my opponent, to check my opponent's king without putting myself in that same kind of danger. And a lot of the time, people who maybe haven't considered this very well, and I am a huge culprit to this until very recently, I noticed it was a big weakness in my game, will look at a board that doesn't have plus buy, or doesn't have some way to gain more than a province per turn, and say, oh, this is a big money board. Here's a, here's a secret. Big money is actually not that weak a lot of the time. Big money, it's not slow, really, Usually not comparatively. And it's not that inconsistent either. It doesn't actually choke on green cards very much. The problem with big money is that it's inflexible. It doesn't have a lot of options. And like Adam said, if you, does, you don't have as many gains as your opponent per turn typically if you're playing a big money deck. So you've kind of committed yourself to your win condition being gaining five of the eight provinces. And if your opponent gets four of them, well, it doesn't matter how consistently you do that or how well you play big money. You need to have a plan B at that point. Uh, yeah, that feels pretty bad. I, I mean, so this, I guess I guess this is something that you would consider in game plan and I wouldn't. Like, you kind of want to have this, this path to victory, right? If I'm going to go for provinces and you're going to go for some other source of points, maybe it's provinces and a lot of duchies, or maybe it's, I don't know, vineyard or whatever, 
Like, I need to have a plan to win the game. So, like, sometimes when I'm playing IRL, this is something that was uh, brought up by a request. Like, if I'm playing IRL and I know that, oh, my money strategy is up against your Phaedom strategy. Yeah, or something. I know that in order to win the game, I just need to end the game by emptying the province pile before his Phaeda are worth, like, 25 points or whatever. 55 points. 55. 55 points. Something like that. So, like, it doesn't... It doesn't really matter if I'm tracking the score, because if I win, it's because I empty the provinces first, right? Uh, that can be something that's a little more practical. But, like, that's 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 a, along the lines of what you're saying, like... And you even mentioned that Big Money is a deck that doesn't stall all that much. Well, I mean, if you get four provinces and then you dive hard for duchies, yes, the deck is going to stall. <laughs> yeah, okay. So if that's you're fair. going for Fatum and I do that... I'm going to lose because that's not what I want, right? I want to be yeah. getting more and more provinces, so I'm not going to buy duchies. I'm going to buy gold. There's actually a pretty good or article. Silver, even. Silver's a pretty good card for money. Yeah. You've got to deny those. Fatal. you got to deny the silver deny the silver to your yeah. opponent. Super important. There's, there's an article. I'll link it in the description. It's a very well-written article, and it's actually really old, but it's uh, about the myth of big money choking. Yeah, actually... And there's, like, charts and stuff. Like, it's, it's a really good article. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I read the article, too, and it's kind of shaped a lot of how I look at Dominion boards. I, it is a very well-written article, and I recommend reading it, too. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, so here is... Uh, situation because like it's real hard to talk about this stuff in the abstract sure there are two piles empty and the third pile has like three cards in it right okay and uh we can each gain two cards per turn let's let's say that that's the maximum capability of our deck so it's like no villages and woodcutter is the only plus buy oh wait rip and peace woodcutter it was too soon uh uh, nomad camp (laughs) there we go we did it so messenger. we can each get whatever. Um, no, messenger messes with this. So let's not let's not complicate. Oh yeah, it does. So we can each gain pretty much whatever two cards we want. It's my turn. What should I do? You should look at all of the data that the board has presented to you. <laughs> okay, I've given you what I think is the relevant data. Give me a strong what's, play. Uh, what's the score? Zero, zero. No one's got any green yet. Oh, what's the strong play there? Yeah, just give me Um, something good. I guess what I think would be the strong play would be to buy a single point card and then some other card that doesn't progress the game to its conclusion and then to continue building and buying points. Okay, so let's say you can't build any more than two cards per turn. Okay. Let's say we can already double province. So we've, we've built a lot... So you, you you still think it's one province and something else? Oh, so we are to the point where we can double province and that's and the score is zero zero. Yeah. Well, then the correct play is probably to double province. Okay. Uh, I think I think that's correct <laughs> some of the time. I think if if it's our turn uh, and we double province, I think this is a strong play if we went second. Because okay. if they double province, we double province, and then they double, they've just lost on turns. Okay, So sure. if we went second, this is a very strong play. 
And if you went first, then to be in that situation means you played worse because you're in the same position and you have one fewer, one uh, more turn to do it. Not necessarily, but I think there's a different line of play that has yeah. a that has a better result. Okay. Any ideas? Uh, enlighten us. Oh, okay, so so I think a strong play here is to buy <laughs> one province and then one of those uh, last three cards in that pile, because now you're checking the king, right? If they do nothing. I can just empty those last two pile cards and win. Okay. They have to. They basically have to get points. Maybe they didn't want to do that. I mean, I guess I've constructed this in a way that they kind of had to. But, you know, making yeah. them green if they didn't want to. I've checked the king. I've done something good here. The The other thing uh, here is, like, they double, I double, now, and oh, crap. There's three provinces left in the supply. They're in an awkward situation, right? Yeah. So, so that's why this is also pretty good. I find in a lot of cases, I don't want to get into too much detail on this because there's a, uh, it's kind of a deep dive into a specific topic, but like when you can get two provinces per turn, a lot of times it's really good to um, get one province on, on the first time where you're buying victory cards. Getting two doesn't usually serve you as well as getting one. So, like, a lot of times you'll find yourself in this situation where you get one province, and then you maybe build a little more for reliability. Okay. Or you buy one province, and you couldn't get the second one yet, but you buy that last bit of payload that puts you up to double province. So now you have one, and you're capable of double provincing next turn. That's also a pretty strong play. And that's just because, uh, assuming your opponent is roughly equal to you, you know, the way the provinces trade, it doesn't really benefit you to get that second province right away because you're going to put yourself in that situation where you're kind of duchy dancing, as you like to call it. Right. Uh, it doesn't usually work that way with, like, three provinces a turn. Like, yeah, if you no one has the, points. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to buy three or, God forbid, four provinces in a turn, the correct play is usually to do it. And if you have the assuming that no one's gotten points so far, right? And if you have the opportunity to buy five provinces in a turn, that's usually the win condition for most <laughs> games is to get five. So, I mean, yeah, it's a little weird to find yourself in that situation because why didn't you start greening when you could get three? But like, there are mega turn decks that yeah. usually just want to buy all their green at once, so they just build and build and build until they end the game on a win and then the game's over, like, shortly. Yeah, like, like I'm thinking way. about the occasional game where you and your opponent are both playing for this big Horn of Plenty mega turn, and you are to the point where you are pretty sure at any given point you're going to kick, one of you is going to kick off and gain almost all the provinces. And so you play your five Horns of Plenty and gain five of the provinces in a panic move, and that's still really good because it puts your opponent in a really awkward, tilted spot. Uh, yeah, if gains are limited, that can that can definitely be the case. Uh, yeah, the the whole five fiber there. But but even then, like you wouldn't have stopped when you could get three, right? That's that's more of a mega turn situation. Yeah, so yeah, that sure. makes sense. Uh, yeah, and we see similar situations set up with bridge troll or you know bridge, sure, the non troll version. So so when I <laughs> when I originally asked you this. Uh, you just asked me a whole bunch of questions about the game state, and like, yes, that's definitely the right mentality you have. Yeah. You want to gather information about what's going on, consider absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the particular things that it's really important to do is to know the, the exact capabilities of your opponent's deck. Like, yeah. how many points can they score? 
how many provinces can they get if the province pile could run, or how many other pile cards can they get. What duration or uh, reserve cards have they not called yet? Like, does he have Especially a transmogrifier or a cards, Yeah, yeah. Like, those are those are significant, and they're easy to forget about. So, mm-hmm. and another thing to think about is like what limits them. Like maybe the number of cards they can gain is limited by not the number of gainy cards that are in their deck, but rather like maybe they're all terminal. Yeah. And so their terminal space is really what limits them. So like, oh, they only they can only play three gainy cards because they can only yeah. play three actions for gainy bits. So that's all I need to play around. Or if you're kind of tracking your opponent's deck and you know like, oh, I saw all their really good cards last turn. He has a hand of crap or something like that. Yeah, for sure. So so knowing yeah, that's that's another thing they could be limited by is like how much they can draw. <clears throat> And so now you need to evaluate, oh, well, if, if I don't think they're going to have a good hand, then I don't play around as much. Or let's say I'm doing really well, and uh, my opponent's deck has this capability. Like, my deck is way better. I can, I can do a lot of great things, and my opponent's deck doesn't do that much. But let's say that their deck technically has the capability. Like, if they get the, the nut draw, yeah. they, can, they can end the game if I put the, the piles in this particular <laughs> spot. So, like, if I feel really good about my chances in my deck, then I'm not going to make it so that the nut draw wins for them. But if it's close, or if I'm behind, then, yeah, I'm not going to play around the nut draw. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason to take unnecessary risks that could lose you the game, but you also don't want to not take those risks if not taking them is giving them more time to catch up or creating another risk that you're going to lose the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Finally, I just have a couple more points that I wanted to make. Um, Let's say that you are ahead and your deck is... I'm a whole body. That's amazing. That was... (laughs) Uh, Let's say you are ahead or a whole body like like Jake is. Um, That was pretty good, huh? (laughs) That was amazing. Are you going to play the... Effect. No, probably uh, not. I'm too lazy. Okay. But let's say that I'm ahead because my deck is more reliable. Okay. Then this is a great time to green early because the deck can handle the greens and I can press my advantage by having tempo on on the green cards, by by getting points and having that lead. That's how yeah. I that's how I apply my lead to winning the game. Sure. Uh, and this also applies for like gainers that are not really good for gaining more payload. Maybe something like Hagler. Like I have yeah. a bunch of Hagglers in play. I can buy a province and haggle a lab. Okay, great. Uh, I need to start getting provinces now. Or, you know, a bu- it doesn't have to be lab. It could, gold is a great thing to haggle with yeah. province. Yeah, for sure. These, these kind of things push you towards greening earlier because yeah. they can help you build while you green. And so the way you materialize that advantage is by having points. Uh, let's say, though, that you want to build more. So uh, when are the situations where you want to build more? Uh, A lot of times I ask myself, let's say in two turns from now, if I build more, could I have the same number of points as I would have if I started greening now but have a better deck? So I can get one province now, but if I build for one more turn, I can get two provinces. So I build for one turn, then I get two provinces. Yeah. That's better than if I had just province now, province next turn, because I put more good stuff in my deck. Yeah, now that's kind of a risk-reward kind of call to make, because you do need to actually have that payoff, right? (laughs) If you say, okay, I can buy a green card, my opponent just bought a province, 
I think I can go for two. And then you try to go for two and you don't, then what you did is just miss province. That's all you did. Sure, you want to be consistent about it, but also you need to make sure that, like, I'm not going to be spending a whole bunch of time building. I don't want to be spending two or three turns building yeah. up to double province. That's not worth it, right? <laughs> don't yeah. do that. The, the other way to build more is, like, to build more towards consistency. So, like, if I'm playing a draw to X deck, that deck has reliability issues. So I do want to overbuild that before I green. You don't want to get too excited about greening and have your deck fall apart, and now you can't really do anything because your deck sucks, right? That's no way. Yeah. Or, um, one, once again, if you're ahead, like, if you have time to build more, then mm-hmm. building more towards reliability can be good because then you can, uh, then you can just have a better deck when you're going into greening. So, uh... If you're ahead, you can. Use, this is usually better to build more towards deck control, having increased deck control, than it is to build more towards having payload. Because mm-hmm. you, you get more good turns and more flexibility in in the end game. You can play around what your opponent does. You can wait for your opponent's deck to dud, then you can go strike and grab the the second to last province or whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and those are the aspects of endgame play I think we wanted to cover today. Like we said before, it's a fairly broad and expansive topic, so if you feel like you wanted to hear about other things that we didn't get to, definitely you know leave us a note about those, or feel free to talk about them yourself. Uh, other than that... Yeah, I mean, if it's small enough, we can address it in the bread of the next podcast sandwich. Yeah. And if it's a bigger topic, we might devote a little bit of meat to it, I suppose. Sure. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm hoping this can be something that's interactive. Like, this is a big enough topic, and it's freeform enough that we really care about what you want to hear, and we can focus our discussion towards that. Definitely. So, um, I was at Jungle Gyms yesterday, and I was in the reduced bakery section, and they had... What's the reduced bakery section? It's near the uh, it's it's near the the produce. What did it lose? Oh, it's like the Dale bread and stuff. Oh, yeah, they sell it for a reduced price. Oh. I usually go there. Like, there's some good stuff there. Wow. And so, like, they had this this loaf of rye bread, mm. and I love rye bread. The wife doesn't like it as much, but like, I made some garlic toast with it tonight, uh, and the wife liked it. And it was rye bread. I was really proud of myself. And that's kind of that what this kingdom is, is the garlic rye toast yeah. of, of Dominion. Of, of endgame play in Dominion. Of endgame Dominion play. Because I, so. I really like having that garlic flavor at the end of your meal. As long as, as long as you don't plan to make out with anyone who hasn't also had it. So, Speaking of... So you, have... the listeners, should be having some of this garlic rye toast. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Yeah, because, let's be honest, you're not making out with anyone. You're listening to a Dominion podcast. A anyway. podcast. All right, so our kingdom that we're going to be focusing on over the next week so that we can talk about next week and what strategies play out is Overlord, Royal Blacksmith, Ambassador, Lookout... Wishing Well, Envoy, Procession, City, Governor, Haggler, and we have two landmarks, Arena and Triumphal Arch. Once more for our audio-only listeners, we have Overlord, Royal Blacksmith, Ambassador, Lookout, Wishing Well, Envoy, Procession, City, 
Governor, Hagler, and we have the Landmarks Arena and Triumphal Arch. Alright. Okay, so what do you open with here? This one looks kind of nasty. It does. Uh, Ambassador's a big deal, it always is. Yeah. It has a draw to support it here. And there's really cool stuff you can do, and you can do a lot more cool stuff if your deck is thin. Right, and you can do a lot less cool stuff if your deck isn't thin, and some of that cool stuff is thinning your deck. And that's what we call a snowball. (laughs) And so... Yeah, Ambassador's a big deal here. My priorities in the beginning of the game are to uh, not lose the Ambassador War. Yeah. So there's there's enough draw and other cool stuff you can do, and, and like strong uh strong draw stro- i mean other stuff you can do that that i think you can get into the situation in a two player game where like both of you don't lose the ambassador war uh sure. so so i don't want to say winning at all costs is something that i want to do although i can't resist you know just giving my opponent the entire copper pile the entire cop and then pile. ambassadoring them a royal blacksmith. I mean, don't don't kill me if I do that. If I'm winning the game already, but but anyway, I really want to focus hard on the ambassador war. <laughs> what? Don't tell me that didn't cross your mind the first have, thing when you read this board. I have never done that before. I've given my opponent the entire curse pile. I've never given my opponent the entire copper pile. I, I gotta I gotta say. I, I tried one time to give my opponent the entire potion pile. <laughs> I got it down to seven. And, like, they had, there was alchemists on the board, and, like, they, the alchemists were gone, but, you know, the potions, there were still a couple left. I think I, I saw them play, I think I saw them play seven potions in nice. one turn. Did they have plus buy to, no, no, nice. the, potion, the potions weren't good for anything. The alchemists okay. were gone, they were the only potion card. Now, that's the, awesome. that's the record for the most potions. Anyway, this is not about, this board isn't about that. This board is about giving your opponent 60 coppers and five royal blacksmiths just for the lols. Yeah, that would be lols. <laughs> I don't think that's, I think like that's, in the time that bad, you're trying anyway, to do, do that, your opponent has probably bought don't, enough governors. Don't, to... don't do that. That's bad. Don't do that. I just yeah. thought it was funny. Ambassador is extremely important. So like I'm going to open yeah. with an ambassador and uh, depending on my opening, I would consider opening like ambassador overlord it's not that i really want to play any of these fibers all that bad although having the flexibility is quite good but if they do collide i want to be able to play my overlord as a lookout to to continue thinning i I may even want to do that anyway if the shuffle is right like if i draw the overlord on turn three there's a really good chance i'm going to be playing that as an as a lookout instead of an ambassador it it depends obviously it depends on my draw I definitely agree with you here. I think that there is a lot of really great stuff to do on this board, but if you focus on any of it before getting really thin and reliable and having an ambassador in your deck, there's going to be blood in the water in terms of your deck being able to function. Because eventually, if your opponent gets too far ahead on being thin and playing ambassadors, you are not going to be able to accomplish anything that you set out to. Man, I, I'm still not sold on Overlord, though. It really depends. I, I can play see, Overlord. I like Overlord a lot here. Right, it's good. I'm just not sure if I want to open it. it. It depends on my opening, too. Like, with uh, a with I a will totally two open or, Overlord. Man, I just, it's really tough. Arena makes me not mind the Terminal Collision as much. I, I'm, really, I'm really warm on a double Ambassador, double, or, like, Ambassador Lookout opening. It's... 
If you twist my arm... I really like the Overlord. It's going to be useful at every single phase of the game. I think it is a fantastic first buy because it's either two ambassadors or it's ambassador with, oh, I don't know, a lookout or a governor. I mean, and I honestly, I know I said you want to thin really aggressively early on, but eh, gaining a gold really early is pretty good too. My, uh, this is, this is tough for me. I'm going to say I want to open Double Ambassador. I'm really not positive about this. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping that, uh, end game play is, is a little interesting here because, uh, I think it will be, yeah. City kind of mimics end game play around, uh, certain piles, right? Right. So, like, if there's one pile empty, a lot of times we'll dance around the second pile in a similar way as we would dance around the third pile at the end of the game. And, you know, City's, sure. a, City's a good card, so I may want to get a couple of those bad boys. And also, tracking exactly what your opponent's deck is capable of, Governor can really make endgame compli- end calculations a lot more complicated. Because not only is the, the, pen, the potential of both decks really high, you have yeah. to track how many golds they have and how many governors they have and how many provinces they can realistically expect to gain. And then also, if you're going to play Governors on your turn, you have to know if they've got any four-cost cards that they can remodel into Duchy, and yeah. if that messes with your math. And Hagler gains cards. Uh, even Ambassador can empty pile cards. Yeah, I was going to say, there's actually another uh, version of pile control here in the form of Ambassador. If you get enough of a lead, then and you don't mind your opponent just getting a province... Or even if you don't have that lead and you're ahead enough on having a viable deck that you don't mind your opponent having six points, giving them a province can be pretty hilarious <laughs> and also effective because you put a bad card in their deck. Like I would I would pretty much only do that if it was going to win me the game. But, you know, for the I'm, lols also, important. I, I've done it in the mid-game before to good effect, but only when my opponent has really fallen way behind on controlling his deck, and it's only going to compound with those six points, and he's nowhere near ready to green naturally. I'll green artificially for him at that point. <laughs> okay, man. Uh, and the other the other big boy here is Procession. Uh, procession makes in-game calculations a little rough because, you know, not only can you play a gainer twice, but you can gain another card and potentially play it. So I could process procession into governor and play the governor and all sorts of shenanigans. Yeah, Envoy gets involved in the mix there, maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah. it depends on, you know, things get crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, Shirts did, get removed. Did you have an Envoy in your deck in the first place is the question there, right? It doesn't matter. I process my ambassador. No, no. Anyway. Why? I, no. Keep the ambassador. Um, sure. Whatever. Fine. Fine. Whatever. Fine. Fine. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Let us know what you think. And as always... Wait, do we have a slogan that we set? No. Oh. <laughs> and as always... Make some luck. <laughs> make luck. Yeah. All right. Sorry.